difficult, difficult, women. Hey there. Hi. Did I surprise you? Did I scare you? Yeah, I didn't know we were doing a podcast. Start it up. Who put this microphone in front of my face? Sliding right in there. Yeah. My name's Katie. Katie Frame. What's your name? Marie Cecile Anderson, and you are listening to the Difficult Women podcast. Huzzah. 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 Happy holidays. And our gift to you this year is this episode. Yes. (laughs) I really think so many of you all are going to get so much out of this. I cannot believe how lucky we are to have have gotten this guest for you because she really is a gift. And I was going to say, especially as speaking of gifts, as you're getting out there trying to figure out how to buy gifts and pay for Mm -hmm. those gifts, and are you going to spend too much or too little, this person is going to help you out with that today. Mm -hmm. So she is a financial therapist. And Katie, what does that even mean? It's hard to explain. It's not something (laughs) that we are very familiar with, but it's something that's very, very useful. Uh, She helps with uh, the emotions and your stories around money to free you Mm -hmm. up so that you can have real financial health Mm -hmm. and be able to like feel free around money, which is something that most of us do not feel. Mm, (laughs) I would venture to say that like a giant percentage of us don't feel truly, truly comfortable around money. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm super psyched for this. Yeah. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Celia Roberts Hughes. Yay! Yay! So happy to be here. Well, so we're excited to talk to you today because you have recently launched your own business on financial health, which is kind of like, I mean, I don't know much about... I don't know much about finances. Katie, Katie, <laughs> Let alone do you health. Know? I don't know. Health. <laughs> no idea. Just I had a lost. pizza. You know. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, as we grow older, I mean, it kind of slaps you up against the face. <laughs> money. And it, there's mm-hmm. such a negative connotation around money. And um, according to your website, CeliaRobertsHughes.com, uh, I mean, there's so much cool information on there. I highly recommend everybody go there. But one thing that really stood out is that like it's so taboo to talk about money. Yeah. Why? Yeah. <laughs> why? Um, <laughs> why? Why? The short answer is because it is a method that has been used throughout time to control people. Mm-hmm. And the people, the man, the institutions lose control when we start speaking and when there's common language and there's common understanding between us. And so I think that money is kind of that last thing that we are not allowed to talk about, right? Like Mm -hmm. we can talk about families, women can talk about not wanting to have children. We can talk about gender, we're talking about sex, we're talking about food, we're talking about fat positivity, but we're not talking about money. Mm -hmm. Money is still that thing that there's so much fear and shame tied up in. And I think that there's a lot of common experience happening and we don't know it because we have not breached that topic yet. Mm. So here I am. Ah. I'll talk about it. So what is your background that drew you to this exact kind of teaching that you're you're engaged in now? Two parts of my background. The first part is my childhood. My mom was a single mom. My dad left when uh, my brother was three and I was one and she was pregnant with my little sister. So she was hardcore single mom. And she was 
in hindsight, she was very responsible with money. She was forward thinking. She was paying off debt. She was saying no to things in the short term so that she was preparing for the long term. She paid off her house a couple decades ago. Like she was very forward thinking. But as a child, I was just for who I am. I was the child that was very aware of what that was like for her. And when she would say no to things, mom, can we buy this thing? No, we don't have the funds for it. That's a Grammy quote. We don't have the funds for it. Mm. And I was just very concerned about, I was aware that I had one parent and all my eggs were in her basket. And if something happened to her, we were fucked. Mm -hmm. And I was aware of what that felt like for her. What must it have felt like for her to have to say no to us so much? I don't know that she ever actually felt those things, but I was Mm -hmm. overly empathetic for Mm -hmm. her situation. And so as a child, I knew at a young age that I was not going to get screwed over the way mom was. Mm -hmm. I was not going to be financially stressed out and financially strapped. And I was not going to have the, my purse strings as tight as she was. So I had this childhood of I'm going to, my life is going to be different than this. And then as an adult, I moved into, I had a degree in management, human relations, and kind of fell into the accounting side of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just naturally good with numbers. I am a math person. Mm-hmm. You're my air quotes around math person. <laughs> and so I, I um, ended up going to grad school. I got an MBA in finance and worked as a controller and then a CFO for well, I don't know how old I am, I'm 13 <laughs> something years. Mm-hmm. And so I was in this um, really structured business side of it and watched entrepreneurs and these, I mean, sometimes brilliant entrepreneurs really struggle with the money side of things, mm-hmm. um, keeping to a financial plan, sticking to a budget, projecting like you know, and all the number stuff. And I realized it's because we're showing up as humans, right? We are showing up as our emotional selves mm-hmm. with all of our life's experiences. And then we're trying to stick and live inside this really structured place and make these business decisions inside the structure without giving allowance for who we are. Mm. So that's a long answer to say, I don't know. I've just always always been with money. Money and I have just come along together. Yeah. And did you find that when you were doing your, so clearly you were doing well in the financial world because Mm -hmm. you were moving up and stuff. So you were understanding money maybe in a way that a lot of other people you were noticing were not. Is that what you're saying? I think in business, I mean, yeah, and from the business side of it, I'm just, I'm good at, yeah, at, you're good at managing it. money. I'm good at balancing numbers and it, it just naturally makes so much sense to me. I think that my departure, my career that led me to this path is I had my first kid and I was working, I don't know, somewhere around like 450 hours a week mm-hmm. and was in this really like masculine world, mm-hmm. right? Where we, the, we had the drive was all we cared about. Focusing on work was all we cared about. That was our life. And I was in money, which is super masculine. Mm-hmm. And then I had a daughter and had this slap in the face of feminine energy and mm. trying to figure out, had tried to balance my time away from her needed to be more meaningful than just helping a company make money, bringing in profit. And mm-hmm. so I think I started on the search of how I'm a healer at heart. I care about people more than anything. And how, mm-hmm. how is this skill set supposed to serve the people? And so Mm -hmm. I think I realized that there's this, when I realized this gap between, it's almost like left-sided and right sides of our brains, Mm -hmm. right? When I realized the gap that money exists on both sides, money exists in our creative side, 
someone has to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there was, that's where I was. I was somewhere in this bridge between both worlds. Yes, I love that too. It's so interesting too, because I mean, I know from our experience out in the world as creatives, it's so rare to, especially within like artistic creative people, to find people that have any idea and and I'm included in this like I'm really how to run a business properly or how to how to fi- manage your finances properly and I'd say that we're Marie and I and, and the band we've probably done much better than many people we know and it's we're still kind of flounder we're still trying to figuring it out and we don't have that natural instinct and I it's interesting how you say the right brain versus the left brain because they are two very different ways of approaching the world and yeah. I think you also see so many artists get ripped off by the business people mm. because they don't even see it coming. Like they don't even know yeah. what to look for. So what yeah. you're doing is so useful. And it also just the idea that people's stuff around money is more than just whether you're good at like math or not. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. That mm-hmm. it is yeah. something deeper than that. Yeah. Mm. What what have yeah. you been finding with people as you're working with them? I mean, have you been surprised by some of the scenarios or is it is it kind of what you were figuring it would be? I think that I've had a, a lot of confirmation of things that I've seen that I assume to be true universally. Mm-hmm. I'm believing more so, such as there are there is no numbers marker for financial health. So mm. I work with people who have really struggled financially to earn a living, mm. to earn a good living that can pay for their lives. I have worked with people who earn a lot and who whatever amount of money they make, they're going to spend that exact amount of money. It feels uncomfortable for them to have money in the bank and they're going to just blow it out. Mm -hmm. And then I've worked with people who have a lot of wealth and Mm -hmm. who have extreme financial stability and really struggle emotionally with money for a variety of reasons, because how we feel about money when it comes down to it, doesn't, doesn't correlate to what we actually have. Right. So mm-hmm. money struggles and money unhealth does not belong to poor people. It mm-hmm. belongs to all of us, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's been interesting to see how many, especially working with the people who come from means or who have earned means, how on that side of the spectrum, there can be a lot of guilt. Mm-hmm. There can be guilt over what you have versus what other people don't have. There can be guilt over having something that you feel like you didn't earn. Mm-hmm. If you have a trust or you had a windfall or you had, you know, a career that brought in a lot of money out of the blue on the upfront, you know, a musician or an artist or something that can come with a lot of stress and imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Often people who have a lot of money have uh, anxiety over losing it and it can be hard to spend mm-hmm. uh, because, because you have, the more you watch your money grow, the more you feel worried about going back from there. So I think that's been the most interesting thing that I've seen is just that this this conversation about health is for everyone. Every person who has a body has to pay attention to their physical health, right? Mm-hmm. There's no body that you're like, I ran a marathon and now I don't ever have to exercise or eat healthy food or get my cholesterol checked again. I'm good. That's mm-hmm. not it. Like we I have learned to that continually way, yeah. pay attention. <laughs> yeah. I would run a marathon if right. that were right. the end of it. And you know, yeah. I have to say, even just discussing this, this I'm trying, I'm like aware of my body and how my chest is getting tight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, just because money, I mean, I, I like what you always say. It's like it, everybody does have their own financial story, their family, mm-hmm. their churches, their neighbors have influenced their stories. And so like my parents were so tight with our money growing up. And so mm-hmm. it was like we had, we were always constantly told no. 
constantly. And so now that I'm slowly working through my finances of like being an artist, I always thought I wasn't supposed to have any money. And that was Mm -hmm. my identity. And then now where I'm like going into producing well-known podcasts and stuff and actually making a salary it's two different worlds but I think that it's like knowing for me I'm just trying to like know my worth and then understand Mm -hmm. then that like the the imposter syndrome the kind of that you're talking about like I thought I was supposed to be this way and then but then kind of just letting it go I guess like I don't know is there is there any sort of advice that you have for people that are like I'm not worthy of money. (laughs) Like, I know that Mm. that sounds very general, but I just was, I was raised to kind of believe like you have to work so freaking hard for it and then save, save, Mm -hmm. save. And then, cause tomorrow it could be pulled out from under you, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to like have financial freedom and manifest it all of a sudden. And I mean, it Mm -hmm. seems to be kind of working, I guess, but (laughs) But um, there. But why is my chest so tight now that we're talking <laughs> about this? <laughs> if that makes well, sense. Well, tell me, Marie, what was your? Um, <laughs> I'm going to go into this. What were yeah. your grandparents like with money? What was your oh. parents' childhood like in their homes? Oh, so tight. You know, like both the grand. Let's see, my dad's side. My grandfather worked, and my grandmother stayed home. Um, and then on my mom's side, uh, he grew his business out of when she was very young. So they had no money when she was growing up until she went off to college. And then the business they had grown, it's an air conditioning business in Florida. So, you know, you know that Great. they were making tons it's of money. Hot. Yeah, it's hot. Mm-hmm. But so then I think for her, my mom, like um, since she didn't grow up with money, but then returning home after college and seeing her younger siblings have all of the things that she never had in her childhood um there might be a little bit of resentment of some sort towards just complicated yeah probably Mm -hmm. (laughs) but as as my parents have gotten older and they're retired now they um they are more free with it because i think it is a big lesson that like you know you can't take your money with you when you go (laughs) so well i think it's interesting to look like to look at the multi-generational stuff like your grandparents Mm. were affected by the depression right Mm -hmm. so they came from a world where everything can disappear everything Mm. you own can disappear your money in the bank is not safe right there Mm -hmm. was no insurance on your money in the bank during Mm -hmm. the depression and so people from that generation had a real trauma around that and around distrust of money staying right Mm. distrust of banks distrust of the stock market and just distrust of the permanence of money not that money's permanent but Mm -hmm. um, the permanence of money when you put it somewhere that should Mm. be safe right Mm -hmm. and so your parents were raised Mm. in that environment of hold on because Mm -hmm. you don't know when things are going to disappear and you're going to wish you hadn't gotten the manicure you're going to wish you hadn't Mm -hmm. gotten that extra thing in your car you know Mm -hmm. and so i think our generation us what are we? Um, X. What are the X and millennials? Zennials? Is that what they call us? Zennials. Those of us right on the. <laughs> I feel so old these days. I, I don't know what I am anymore. <laughs> I know. I think but we're old ass millennials. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we're young. Maybe we're young Gen X. Either way, we're. I think our parents were much more susceptible to continue how mm. the grandparents felt, but we're in this like. But we know that when you put your money in the bank, the money stays in the bank. There's the insurance. Like we know that we don't have to have those fears. And so we are able to stretch out of that Mm. mindset in a different way. Right. Mm. 
-hmm. So you're coming up against a structure that you were raised Mm -hmm. in and a belief system that you were raised in and you're pushing out of that. But that doesn't, it's not as simple as just let it go because that's what you know to be true. Like Mm -hmm. this is like breaking out of a religion, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. You don't wake up one day and you're like, that wasn't true. Right. (laughs) That's ridiculous. You wake Mm -hmm. up and you're like, something doesn't feel right. I'm going to take a couple Mm -hmm. steps out of this. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work on a plan to Mm -hmm. bring it back to money. I'm going to set a earning goal. I'm going to make plans for vacation. So it's just those little steps of doing something that feels Mm -hmm. uncomfortable to you, something that makes your chest feel tight. Mm -hmm. Do that thing. Mm. Let that settle for you, get comfortable with that. And then you just keep pushing and stretching while you're Mm. working out a different mindset. Mm -hmm. So is that so so Mm. when people come to you for help, do I'm sure you give them some guide, you sort of see where they're at and give them guidance sort of where they're at now. But is that sort of one of your big themes with people is to say like, okay, this is going to feel uncomfortable and this is going to feel different. But if you take these steps then you can get toward a place where you're more in control of your finances. and Yeah, it's discomfort. And I think a lot of it is encouraging people to just stay present, right? Like, mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. bail. If your thing is spending and you are feeling panicky and mm. this is too hard, don't bail and, and just go spend to to get that fixed. Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of like identifying what your thing is. If your thing is being frugal and not spending and you won't fix the washing machine because it still works even though it rattles and keeps everyone up at night, go fix the thing, you know, right. yeah. that's really the, I think probably the most common conversation that shows up in every conversation is this is hard. This is uncomfortable. Just stay present with it. Mm. Allow those feelings to be uncomfortable. You're going to make mistakes. Come back, forgive mm-hmm. yourself for those mistakes. Your plans are going to fail. Forgive yourself for the failures and make a new plan. We have this relationship with money where we don't talk about it when we're growing up. We're not mm-hmm. educated on it. Some families do but as a whole as society Mm. we don't educate children about finances we don't educate teenagers about finances and then we send you to college then we say you had a birthday you're an adult you go to college and there are tables set up in the quad selling you high interest credit cards Mm -hmm. you've already made a decision about how you're going to finance your college Mm -hmm. that decision doesn't always come with an analysis of how much (laughs) get a two hundred thousand dollar liberal arts degree and you're going to make $15,000 a year Mm -hmm. when you graduate working in a coffee shop with Mm -hmm. a brilliant brain. Mm -hmm. But we, you have to make these enormous decisions that will stick with you for, you know, your student loan payments or what, 10 years after you graduate Mm -hmm. college, you're making that decision as an 18 year old with no understanding of Mm -hmm. money. Then you graduate college and there's the, oh, you're an adult. You should have everything together and you can pay all these loans and you can pay all these bills and you're going to earn a big income. Oh, wait, you're not. Ooh, we're going to judge you on that. Mm. Like, oh, that, that looks like failure to me. It's an unfair system. Right. And so I think a, a lot of this work is just compassion around, mm. of course, of course we fucked up, mm-hmm. you know, like, of course we took on debt we shouldn't have taken on. Of course we went on vacations we couldn't afford. Of course we did the dumb thing. Like, why wouldn't we have? We didn't know better because we as a society don't educate children, teenagers or adults on how to make different decisions. Mm -hmm. It's the most unfair system Mm -hmm. to throw someone in a ring, say perform without telling them what they're performing and then judge them on it. Right. And like you were saying earlier, too, it's so it's also part of the system for them for people not to know, because if you do know how credit cards work, then the credit card company doesn't make any money off of you. Because that's people correct. are paying them off. So, I mean, I think that's that correct. that's, and then they also want to judge you and say, oh, you don't, you're, you know, you're financially illiterate or all that stuff. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, 
and then I can I can and I can see tinges of this in my own experience but like the like the guilt and the just feeling stupid or feeling mm-hmm. like incapable of doing and I'm actually yeah. I am a numbers person and so mm-hmm. like I like to tally things up and try to whatever but then just I don't know like the fear of spending or the overspending mm-hmm. or any of those things can bring up so many emotional reactions and mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I can just really see how and I think people don't always relate finances to something that's an emotional <laughs> thing yeah. you can work on so that then you can break through because so- otherwise you're like, you're running away from your problems or you're obsessing about your finances yeah. or you're doing things that are just unhealthy one way or another. Exactly. Um, and I think what I've seen is that the emotional work is what comes first. So when someone, you know, before I moved into this work, before I had this epiphany that this is what I was supposed to be doing, I worked with anyone who needed help with something having to do with numbers, I would help them. That was my, my Mm -hmm. gift to the world. You are a woman starting a business. I'm going to write a business plan with you. I loved that stuff. That felt like service to me. And also, Mm -hmm. um, friends and friends of friends and friends of family, anyone who had a, a thing with money would come to me and I would sit with them. And I made plan after plan after plan with people, um, getting out of debt plans, selling a house, how to selling a house to get out of debt, how to allocate Mm -hmm. that money to make sure that you're set up for the future and that you don't get back into that situation that you were in before. Time after time after time, those plans that were rock solid math plans failed Mm -hmm. because the behavior, the behavioral Mm -hmm. patterns, the emotions behind it stay, you know? So it's almost like don't even mess with getting out of debt until you have Mm -hmm. figured out why you were in debt. Either you didn't earn enough money or you spent too much. And I think the left brain finance math side is like, go make more money or just don't spend so much, right? Mm -hmm. Don't spend more than you make. Okay. Well, if it were that simple, no one would be in debt, right? Right. It's the same. I think people are preyed upon in this way, the same as in the diet industry, right? Like Mm -hmm. we need people, Mm -hmm. the diet industry is a, what a something trillion dollar industry. They need people. Am I exaggerating? Do you guys fact check like Dax? No, oh, we don't fact I'm check. I'm sure it's a trillion dollar industry. <laughs> I'm sure it's a trillion. Yeah. Oprah, like, it's actually a 200 billion dollar industry. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'm going trillion. Um, trillion. I'll, I'll throw in some, you know, some random percents that don't make any sense too, and you can fact check it. Um, that industry is powerful and it only exists if diets fail, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's the same with credit cards they need you to roll your credit card into another credit card it's a whole system that is beautifully designed it's brilliant and Mm -hmm. we're stuck in it Mm -hmm. and i think beyond just credit cards you look at the most vulnerable people you look at people of color you look at incarcerated people we have payday loans title loans Mm -hmm. you know a credit card may have like a 30 something percent interest that you can get trapped in payday loans are like 300 percent interest right like if you take out a 200 payday loan it, people generally, by the time they have paid it off, have paid thousands. And those mm-hmm. are people who cannot eat, the, right. in, who cannot wait until the next paycheck to right. eat, and they're right. having to take a loan out of that. That's incredible. Those people are hungry, mm-hmm. and we're allowing, the government allows them to be preyed upon. Right. Rich like, people don't get preyed mm-hmm. upon with 300% interest rate. I mean, no. it's insane. Right. Also, like, it's, it's like the overdraft fee thing, too, where it's mm-hmm. like, why are you, you're punishing people for not having money by taking more money away from them? Like, people that can't yeah. afford, you know. Yeah, that's so crazy. It's criminal. I mean, the fact that it is allowed to exist is organized crime. It's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then, and then to those people, we're like, you take out a payday loan. 
Like, yeah. oh, why didn't you just right. starve? Right. Why didn't right. you not feed your children for a period of time with, right. you know, some integrity to avoid that? It's just, oh, you lost your car. Your car got repossessed? Ew. Like, right. right. Cool. Right. Right. We set people up to fail and then we judge them for it. Right. right. Uh, America. And even in, oh, God. America. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that's an interesting thing, too, where, where do you ever find yourself in a situation where you're talking to somebody who sure there's emotional stuff around their spending but they've also just gotten themselves into such a quandary because of the system that it's yeah. like you know you can they can value themselves or work on that emotional side but if they can't get out of the the trap that is mm. the system then then what then what <laughs> i mean it's hard because for a lot of people um bankruptcy is is a necessity right mm -hmm. like i think that there are um people who take advantage of the bankruptcy system and then there are people who it is survival mm -hmm. to it is the only way that you can dig yourself out of a hole if you have a loan that has a 300 percent interest rate mm -hmm. short of winning the lottery you are not going to dig yourself out of that hole yeah. and so the bankruptcy mm -hmm. process is built for people like that and then what do we do we shame you Right. right. We tell you, you can't get credit for seven more years. We hang it over your head. You know, like you, right. we literally stigmatize you, you who have been preyed upon. And then we're like, oh, and then they, and then they bailed on their debts. So we're going to ding their credit because this person has proven, proven themselves to not be trustworthy. Mm. You know, so I think that there is always a way out of the hole. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's painful. Sometimes yeah. it's a really yeah. painful way out. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that that is. But it's nice to hear you say that for anybody that's listening that feels like there is no way out for them mm -hmm. potentially. That there mm -hmm. that there are systems in in place that can help, but like you say, they can be very painful. And I can see uh -huh. where then that sort of emotional stuff can be worked. Well, that people don't want to file for bankruptcy because of the shame yeah. or whatever. But yeah. that um, being able to just say no, you know what fuck it I just got to do yeah. what I got to do to survive and make and then yeah. thrive and then once you get past some I have a friend that had ex just extreme debt from he um just from various things that had happened in his life and once he finally was able to start taking steps to get control of it, it again like you said it's very painful and difficult but god he is just in such a better place now and mm -hmm. he was somebody you're like I don't know if he's ever going to be able to fix this problem <laughs> you know uh -huh. but then he got some help and just little inch by inch he was able to get out of it but my god mm -hmm. it is um, it's crazy it's long work yeah mm -hmm. well it's a beautiful thing that people like you exist to help because oh my god yes I do feel like I've been preyed upon by people who say they're going to help. But then in the end, it's like, you know, I did this full financial thing over the pandemic. And then in the end, she wanted to sell me liability insurance. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought we were besties. I thought we were. <laughs> I thought we were like growing my finances. But wait, why do I need that? <laughs> Didn't understand yeah. that. So, yeah, it's tricky. Most people don't know that there's a lot of product sales with um, yeah, financial advisement, like financial planning, right. the numbers side of it. Yeah, right. So it's nice that there's somebody like you that's a healer and empath and actually doing service. So um, one thing I do want to pull from your website real quick, because okay. um, I thought this was just interesting. And we talk a lot about double standards between men and women on our podcast. And yeah, what you had said on your website, you said, we teach our boys that their measure of worth is being a sole provider. And we teach our girls that they shouldn't worry about being financially independent. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, like, I know that you're raising children and and in your in your business, 
like what have you learned about the differences between men and women and would you say you want to like just take away all the all the stigmas and the stereotypes and just empower both genders equally or i mean there's it seems like there's a lot of patriarchal undoing <laughs> that you may yeah. have to encounter as well. well you know what's super interesting is i have seen some very powerful feminist women mm. struggle with their husbands not earning or not earning as much as them and not having mm-hmm. the ability mm-hmm. to be the breadwinner. That shit is deep in our culture. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it's interesting that even in the midst of the shift that's happening right now with gender awareness, that is still there that, that mm-hmm. women, women have not fully um, dug into that part of our expectations of men. Mm. And I think for me, the realization came because I feel very passionate about all women being able to earn an income, mm-hmm. um, which is their cultures that, and I think it's primarily probably, well, it's, it's conservative and it's probably more white cultural, white culturally than some other cultures, but we encourage women as nurturers. You are a nurturer, mm-hmm. you, you know, mothers can care for the only a mother can care for a baby the way that a mother can care for a baby. We have mother's intuition. We really feed that mm-hmm. narrative. And then there are cultures that specifically are pushing women or should be in the home. What's best for the children is that mm-hmm. the woman be at home. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want that for any woman. I don't want any woman mm-hmm. to be trapped. No woman can have safety in her marriage. If she does not have the be- ability to walk out the fucking door, mm-hmm. if her husband is an ass, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Right. Women get trapped because they have no financial autonomy and independence and they don't have a way to earn. It doesn't mean that you can't be a stay-at-home mom. And it doesn't mean that you have to work if you don't financially have to work, but you have to be able to get out of your house and earn a livable income, Mm -hmm. right? The flip side of that is we have to stop telling the boys that it's their responsibility to raise a family on their own, Mm -hmm. right? Because when you're telling a boy that, when you're telling him that his sole job is to earn money, you are disconnecting his self from his self, right? Mm -hmm. Turn off who you are and focus on this thing that we're putting on you instead. That is telling our boys not to be educators. That's Mm -hmm. telling our boys not to be starving musicians. Mm -hmm. That's telling our boys not to take a chance with their art. You know, Mm -hmm. that's telling our boys not to be therapists. Mm -hmm. Right now, you know, a therapist is, I don't know, maybe making 50 something, 60 a year, a psychotherapist. That's that. I mean, you can't buy a house on that in Mm -hmm. Nashville, Mm -hmm. right? right? You can't buy a house in Nashville on a teacher salary anymore. Mm-mm. What does that do that we're taking men out of these empathetic, compassionate, emotional, life-changing positions because we're telling them that their worth is in earning? So I think as I was doing this work in my own mind around women and what's needed for women to have safety, mm-hmm. I connected those dots to what's needed for men as well. And so we have to have these conversations at the same time. Money shouldn't be gendered, right? Mm. There shouldn't be gender appropriate money behaviors. Right. And also it just in terms of what you're saying mm. is that men shouldn't feel like they can't be teachers and all those things. Men should also not feel like they have to make more than their par- partners and their wives, Yeah, that they have yes. to make more because that's something that Marie and I have talked about ad nauseum in terms of like not so much money but like through success and stuff and how a lot of men still have a lot of resistance Mm -hmm. to a woman that's successful 
And even men that consider themselves super feminist and woke or whatever, because exactly what you're saying is these deep, deep seated cultural um, biases or whatever they are that um, that that men feel like they feel demas, you know, demasculated or whatever it is that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And um, don't you guys don't have to (laughs) let it go. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. yeah, but for us to say you don't have to, we have to really do the work of mm. allowing them to not. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. And for that, that's us stepping into our power. Yeah. That's us feeling comfortable having more money, you know, in this case that yes. we're talking about. Yeah. I think that it's hard for a lot of women to tap into that. Like if that makes you feel uncomfortable to think about making more than your spouse, or if it makes you uncomfortable to think about your partner being uncomfortable mm-hmm. in your situation, mm-hmm. that's work to dig into. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's something you have to stay present with and continue to feel and continue to feel uncomfortable with to get through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It also kind of ties into me this thing that I know me and Maria have both been dealing with and we talk about sometimes too. But as we're branching out into other things with job wise and stuff, and I've started a company with film stuff and um, being able to not just know your worth, but mm. To sort of be like, well, how, like, how, you know, am I qualified for this? Am I, should I ask for this much? And mm. it's that same old joke of like, you have to have the confidence of a mediocre white man because sometimes <laughs> these guys that are able to go oh in God. and say, I deserve this much or, oh, I, whatever. I mean, th- for me, I think a lot of my stuff revolves around like feeling like, oh, well, I don't want to impose. I don't want to take up too much space. Yeah. I don't want to charge too much. I don't want to be, I'm not good enough yet. I have to, you know, when there's, p- we've worked with some of these guys that will just like steamroll you and they're t- terrible and they're not even good at what they do so um yeah yeah. can you speak to that a little or (laughs) um i can say that that is real and true and i have experienced that myself (laughs) every person listening to this is like "Mm -hmm, yep i've done that um i think that that's just another instance of knowing what is true and staying present with it right Mm -hmm. i don't want to do this thing i feel uncomfortable having this conversation what will it feel like if this person is offended by my ask or by my negotiation. Mm. We don't know. All we can do is stay present with that feeling mm. and do what is right for us. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that um, I think that it's important to to pause on your storytelling. I think that we mm-hmm. can get really um, swept away with a narrative that we're creating when we're giving words to someone else. I'm going to say this, and mm. now he's going to say that, and now I'm responding mm. to something that he hasn't even had an opportunity to say, and then he had a dickhead response to what I said. So now my feelings are hurt going into this, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's pausing that story, staying present with what is true for you at this moment, which is you should be making this amount of money. You should be asking for this amount of money. This is what's reasonable in your industry. This is what your peers are being paid. Not, not go into what the other person is going to respond, but just, this is what is true for me. This is what is true in my world. This is what I will do. Stop and stay present with that, Mm -hmm. you know, like stopping the spiral. And also it just feels uncomfortable and you just keep doing it and eventually it will stop feeling uncomfortable or it won't. And you just keep doing it because we can do hard things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting dating. Um, and when money comes up, I again, like feel my chest kind of tighten and stuff because early on, I do think it's important to like start talking about with a, a new suitor. Um, but it is, you know, I my my friends who are married, like I hear over and over and over again that finances is what 
causes most of the fights in most relationships. And do you advise your clients to have an open dialogue with their partners about this? Do you recommend a joint checking account? Katie and I have our joint checking account. I was just telling this guy I've been dating. (laughs) The only person I have a joint checking account with is Katie Frame. And I don't see that changing. And you know my feeling about this. I don't want a joint checking account with a partner, but I would have one with you, obviously. Right, right. But yeah, what are your, what is your philosophy around that? Maybe it's different joint for checking account or not. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I think that <laughs> um, I think that that is such a personal thing and there's mm-hmm. not a right answer for everyone. Right. So um, I think that it's important to be having open and honest conversations about it as you are with everything. It's important to be open about what you make. And I mean, clearly, when you get to the point that you want to be talking about it, not that you need right. a first date. Lay out your personal information. Let's have some wisdom, girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so I shouldn't to... ask for their social security <laughs> number. Second date. Second, Second date. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I think that for I think that it's important to understand why you want to have a joint account versus why you don't want to have one, and then both are okay. I think that when you are, if you're living with someone and you're in that situation, it's often easier to have a joint account. And maybe that account is where you each put your bills so that you're not like you pay the rent and I pay the Mm -hmm. utilities. You know, it's easier to just put, we each put X amount of money in Mm -hmm. each month, but you have to be having those conversations because when you're partnered with someone long-term married or otherwise, you're not going to be making the same amount of money. Do you need to be splitting the rent? Not um, equally, Mm -hmm. not necessarily, Mm -hmm. but you have to be having those conversations around, Hey, you make a hundred grand and I make 50. What mm-hmm. feels fair to you about mm-hmm. what you should be paying versus what should I be paying? And then also just honest conversations about, you know, if you make a hundred and you're flat ass broke and you have cheap mm-hmm. rent or you live in your parents' garage, the person that you're partnering with has a right to know what your spending habits are because mm-hmm. your spending habits are going to be affecting the other person, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you have to be having these honest conversations and working together to figure out what works for you. I do think it's important to have privacy in a relationship. Mm. I don't think that your partner needs to know every single thing that you spend. Mm-hmm. I don't know everything that my husband spends. I'm the money person in the family. And so I look at all the you know cards and accounts and everything. And so I can see where he's spending what, but I'm not like, Hey, I saw you spent $42 at the, on the Amazon. What did you get? You know, like that's mm-hmm. his business and mm-hmm. he deserves that. And I don't want him saying, you spent how much on your facial? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, thank <laughs> you, sir. <laughs> um, so I do encourage, um, a, I encourage couples to have space and comfort around privacy, because I think mm. that that's a confusion that when you get married, all is fine. All is not one. All shouldn't be one, mm-hmm. you know, it shouldn't be all, you should have privacy in, in all aspects of your life. Wow and have the wisdom to discern between what is healthy privacy and what is hiding and deceit, Mm. which is, that's actually very comforting to hear. Cause I did think that, Mm. I mean, I thought maybe you had to just be an open book and that's kind of terrifying. (laughs) I don't want to be an open book sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can we talk about the new workshop that you have coming up? Um, yes. Yeah. What is what is that all about? Life math, uncovering your Life money math. beliefs, unearthing your roots, and writing your future. Yes. So um, I've had a lot of people say, "Okay, so what do I do?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I, that, <laughs> so we, yeah. we I'm right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, I have a financial therapy practice where I see people one-on-one or see couples here in my office and that work, you know, if you've done any therapy on your own, I love therapy. Um, it's, it's limiting what you do in that one hour a week, what you can talk about and take assignments away. You know, that's a, that relationship can be really beneficial in some ways, but I think that the bulk of this work is, um, private and it happens in and out of Mm -hmm. every day. And so I wanted to devise a program that has some daily activity to help someone learn how to be present with their feelings around money as they're coming up. My theory is that financial health is requires um, three things. It requires life math. It mm. requires um, financial literacy and it requires emotional honesty. And so I created this program that is heavily focused on the emotional honesty side of things with the math and the finance sprinkled in. Mm. And the math component is because so many people, particularly women, think that they're not good at math. Mm. And because, you know, they didn't go the calculus route, which Mm -hmm. is an absurd offering to, you know, the majority of high schoolers (laughs) before personal finance. Mm. Um, And so that's just that part of it is less education and more explaining to people, most people have the math skills that they need to be competent adults. So that's just looking at the math that you actually need to know to live life. Mm -hmm. And then financial literacy is not, you don't have to be a finance whiz, right? You don't have to be able to calculate compound interest. You don't need to know that formula. You need to understand what compound interest is. You need to understand how compact interest works for you and how it sets you up for wealth down the road and how time works for you. So it's like understanding concepts, not mastering finance. And then um, the majority of the work is just around writing your money story. So it's looking at how you grew up, looking at what you saw in your house, looking at financial traumas that you may have experienced or indoctrination that you may have received through church or through a conservative school, you know, any of that stuff that has formulated what you believe and how you behave as an adult, it's kind of like backing into the roots of all of that. And then looking at who, where you want to be, how you want to feel around money. What do you want to feel like when you think about money, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want to, and maybe it's the difference of how you feel now. You don't want to feel that tight chest, right? You want to feel um, excited when you think about saving for something down the road. You want to feel hopeful when you think about your retirement and retiring in your bus in California. You want to feel confident that you can put your children through college, right? So it's kind of like feeling what it would be like to not to live in the absence of the stress and the anxiety that you feel now. And I think having that experience of understanding what financial health is is such a motivational force to continue to do the hard work that we're in right now. You know, like, you know what you're working towards. It's not working towards a bikini or a big vacation. It's working towards ease and Mm -hmm. joy and the absence of the darkness and heaviness that comes with financial stress. So it's six weeks, like getting started, digging into the hard shit. um, That's so exciting. Money stuff along the way. Yeah. I'm excited. Wow. Um, where that's so I'm I can only imagine that a lot of our listeners right now might be going how do I find this <laughs> where do I so where are they going to find you and this course where to sign up and all you can go to my website which is celiarobertshughes.com and there's a banner at the top that you can click on or go to the programs tab and it'll take you through the registration the program has a weekly live group component which is lesson focused and also community those of us going through this work together i think it's destigmatizing to sit with 
a group of people and say, here's how I feel. And other people say, oh, that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. I understand that feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm going to run uh, two groups. I'm going to one, run one locally in Nashville, and then I'm going to do another on Zoom for mm. my people, my people elsewhere. Great. So all are welcome. Wow. And what's your Instagram? You have such a beautiful Instagram. Thank you. It is um, <laughs> underscore Celia Roberts Hughes. Great. And I'm going to be linking yes. all this information down below, y'all, yeah, right in the descriptions of this podcast. So please check it out and sign up. I'm very interested in this new workshop that you're doing. So maybe Thank I'll you. do it. We'll see. Yeah, come on, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, Celia, this has been so special. I've really, I mean, I really have been just such a huge fan of yours since high school, but then just watching you from afar, you always are doing so many amazing things. She always is collecting money to help families here in Nashville who are in need. And I've just always just so in awe of you and your service and, and with your beautiful family. It just, I, you're a good one. You're making the world a better place. Thank you. Marie. So, I and as someone you. who had not met you before, I feel blessed to have met you. And I, I'm, I know that um, our listeners are going to get a lot out of this episode. I know I, I've already. I'm just sitting here, like thinking about steps that I can take just to kind of open myself up to some, some new ways of thinking and steps to take. Yeah, I'm glad That's it very cool. With you. Yeah. So thank oh you so much for having me. Oh, thank oh, you. Thank you for being so here. Oh, Excellent. Yeah. Thank you.